The Legend of Zelda franchise has sold over 52 million copies since the release of the first game. References to Zelda spring up everywhere in popular culture, from movies to TV to even professional wrestling. Following the releases of the classic Ocarina of Time, sales and demand has increased considerably for actual real ocarinas. And in fact, Robin Williams has named his daughter Zelda after the series. Needless to say, anticipation for the latest Skyward Sword is through the roof. This week we're going to dive deep into the lore of Hyrule, look back at the series as a whole, and whet our appetites for all things Zelda while the world awaits that third week of November. For the week of October 10th, I'm Mike Dunn. And I'm Ron Burke. And this is the Gaming Trend Podcast. All right, Ron, what you playing? So, uh, thinking back, Ace Combat, um, I played the previous title, and the storyline was just so painfully bad that I just could not get through the title. I couldn't. I tried, but every time a story uh, you know, would come up, I'd be pressing the button to fast forward. I just wanted to mute everybody that talked. So, when Ace Combat uh, Assault Horizon came to my doorstep, I was kind of like, uh, do I want to pawn this off on somebody else or should I handle it myself? Um, I'm very glad that I held on to it. It's actually very, very good. Um, they went a completely different series for the Ace Combat series, or I'm sorry, a different direction for the Ace Combat series. So you've got um, missions in an AC-130 Spooky. You've got uh, missions you know, in all sorts of different aircraft, including a B-1 Bomber, an F-117 uh, Nighthawk. You've got uh, the Raptor. You've got the F-35. There's a fantastic array of, of uh, jets, which is not a huge surprise for the series. But now uh, you've also got the the Apache Longbow. And uh, the storyline is written by uh, – the name escapes me right now – but uh, a military author, so it's not god-awful. The voice acting is decent. Uh, they really upped their game with this title, so that's that's what I'm playing right now, and uh, I can't stop playing it. It's quite good. All right, his name is Jim DeFelice, writer correct, of correct. writer of Leopard's Kill and Threat Level Black. Yep. So yeah, he's actually uh, he's actually penned a pretty decent storyline. Uh, it's a little cliche, but uh, it's certainly much better than the crap that was in the previous title. <laughs> Um, I'm also playing Dragon Age 2, Mark of the Assassin. Uh, we just uh, gave away two codes for that, so congratulations sure. to those folks. Um, Dragon Age has been a, a great series. The second title had its uh, fair share of critics, but uh, I enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, th- this one starts a, stars a digital version of Felicia Day, so how am I supposed to argue with that? <laughs> right. Uh, I, I'm actually, I just went and picked up Rage last night. Uh, my son and I went halvesies on it. Uh, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think? Um, I'm about maybe an hour into it, and it is one of the most visually stunning Xbox 360 games I think I've ever seen. And the the animations on the bad guys, the, the mutants and such, just unreal. Just reacting to... To, they're they're just not they're not slabs of meat coming forward at you anymore. They're they're reacting to where you shoot them. They're jumping up on the ceiling and leaping down on you. The first time I faced off with one, I, I literally jumped out of my chair. Yeah, I think the animation is definitely the star of that show. Um, looking back when I was doing the review, 
was looking back at some of the old artwork and a lot of times, you know, you see concept artwork for a title and you go, wow, that's really not what came forward in that game. But uh, looking at the early artwork for Rage, it's exactly what they promised. Um, the only thing that's that's not quite as, as good is uh, that early, uh, I want to say it was QuakeCon, where they debuted the uh, the picture of, I think his name is Coffer in the game, uh, the Asian dude with the coolie hat. Haven't met him uh, yet. Yeah, so he's a shopkeeper. And they had, uh, you know, they had him talking with this obscenely high resolution uh, graphics, and I, we're not getting that on the 360. But I imagine when the PC version gets all patched up and they iron out the technical problems, they'll release that ultra high resolution. I want to say it was 125 gig patch that'll give us those high tech, uh, high res textures for those who have enough hardware to run it. Yeah, I think we talked about that a little last week. Yep. Um, but, but yeah, I completely agree with you. The animation system in that is fantastic. And uh, I hope that they start licensing out that engine because, man, that is a great foundation for a title. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember playing the, the iPhone game. And, oh, the Rage HD? Yep. Yeah. And, I mean, that was fun for a little while, but it was, I don't know, I've never really taken to the on-rail shooters concept too well. Uh, and really, I mean, it looked great for an iPhone, but it doesn't even compare. No, no, I think, uh, I think it's definitely outdone themselves with this title. Uh, it took them long enough. I mean, what, seven years. Yeah. But, yep. uh, to their credit, they didn't Duke nuke it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so anything else on your, on your deck there, Ron? Um, so yeah, I talked about the, the Ace Combat title, um, Forza is supposed to show up probably tomorrow, so I'm not going to get a day one review on that, but I can certainly give some impressions before folks go out and spend their cash. Um, but yeah, that, that's pretty much what I'm playing right now. Awesome, awesome. So yeah, Forza Forza 4 coming out this week. Uh, Ace Combat coming out this week. Yep, um, highly recommended on that one. And uh, will we have that review up on Tuesday? We will. Awesome. Um... Also this week, Might and Magic Heroes 6. Haven't played any of those games personally. Uh, <laughs> I've played s- quite a few of them, but I've, I've kind of lost track at this point. Um, <laughs> the Might and Magic, well, I mean, come on. We're up to 6 now. Yeah. Um, that's the, uh, you know, the grid-based, uh, turn-based title. Uh, super high on strategy. It kind of reminds me of Battle Chess in a way. Because, you know, you, you set up your, your grid-based battles and then it kind of zooms in and then you have your fights between those characters. So it definitely reminds me of the old-school battle chess. Um, heavy on strategy, light on graphics. It's it's prettier, but uh, it, it's kind of fallen away from the AAA titles that the Might and Magic series were before. I think I kind of touched on that before. Um, so it's a turn-based strategy game, which right. you don't see too much of these days. Nope. So yeah, that, that's a bit of a departure from the norm. Now, how has the series been in terms of uh, micromanagement? Because that was always something that irritated me about a lot of strategy titles that come out. So yeah, I'm not sure how they're handling micromanagement in this one. I don't know how they do any resource management. In previous titles, um, it had all everything to do with exploring the map and discovering different you know, gems or mines and that kind of thing, and then upgrading your castle and you can get different units and that sort of thing. Um, I don't know how they're handling it on this one. I'll have to 
kind of take a look at the uh, the reviews that are out there and see what folks had to say about it. Well, I think it's good to see that you know the we're still seeing uh, enough diversity in the the strategy game arena. Uh, I mean, regardless that this is the sixth one, but it, it's obviously had a formula that has sustained itself over the years. Right. Right. Um, I know Mitch will be excited to see uh, Dead Rising 2 off the record. Um, he's a huge Dead Rising fan. Um, so, yeah, he'll be all excited to head back to Fortune City and beat some uh, zombies in the head with various uh, cobbled-together items. Awesome. Now, is that, that, that this is the actual Dead Rising 2, is it not? Yeah, Dead Rising 2 off the record. Okay, okay. Um, I, don't, I don't remember if that's... Is that 360 exclusive? Um, no, no, I'm sorry. No, that's PC uh, 360 and, P- and PS3. Yeah. Yep. Um, and we, last week we incorrectly said that Orcs Must Die was coming out last week. It's actually coming out this week. Uh, once again, love the name. <laughs> yeah, that's a PC title, right? Absolutely, yep. It's yeah. a fantasy action strategy game. Whatever that means. Right. I think that means uh, chopping things up and loot whoring. Yeah, pretty much. Which, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, Airline Tycoon 2? I don't. Never played the first one, but okay. <laughs> well, good, you know. Good there's more tycooning to do. Well, you know, they're they're obviously trying to uh, uh, get in the slipstream of Ace Combat. <laughs> ah, I see what you did there. Uh, you know... I, I think I mentioned my current obsession with anything airports is Airport Mania 2 on the uh, on the Android. <laughs> I love that stupid, stupid game. <laughs> uh, sorry, I couldn't resist. Um, <clears throat> we've got uh, Rune Factory, Tides of Destiny. Yep, it's on the Wii. Yep. Uh, straight up traditional Japanese RPG right there. Yep. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I've never been able to really get into a lot of the RPGs on the Wii for some reason. I don't know if it's the graphics or, or what, but uh, but yeah, it it just never really appealed to me that much. Uh, I prefer more of the traditional Japanese RPGs, stuff like the Final Fantasy series. Right. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. F- please feel free to write in and, and let me know if I'm completely off base. Um, for the Connect this week, we have Hulk Hogan's main event, which. Uh, I wonder how many people are going to try to <clears throat> smash their TV sets with the folding chair. <laughs> <laughs> I do actually have one other title that I've not actually played yet, but uh, the wife is actually reviewing. Um, I have Dance Central 2 Ooh. for the Connect, So we'll get a review on that. Uh, don't expect any video. No. Because <laughs> that, that's just not happening. No. no. But, uh, yeah, I'm also working on that one. Um. And then the other Connect title this week, uh, Sesame Street: Once Upon a Monster. Ah, uh, yes. Shut as up I, and take my money. Yeah, as I've said before, uh, this is going to probably be one of the titles that brings a Connect into my house. Um, my two-year-old is huge into Sesame Street right now. Uh, carries her little Elmo figure and her little uh, Cookie Monster stuffed animal around everywhere. So this is this is happening. <laughs> I do have to uh I do have to step on my soapbox for just a second and say I'm very sad to see that Cookie Monster is now on a low cookie diet. 
Oh, that's just, man. that just makes me sad. Um, I do like that they're adding a character that's, uh, I want to say she's homeless. Um, so they're adding a character that talks about, you know, how her, her parents have lost their job and they're, they don't have a home. So they're living in an apartment and that's okay. And it kind of, you know, bridges that, you know, that gap that I think, uh, Sesame Street's always tried to do, you know, telling kids that their situation is not that abnormal and that things will be all right. Right. So I, I do appreciate that, but damn it. Why they got to take away Cookie Monster's cookies? It's just messed up. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably going to hear about that from my wife, and and uh, she's going to call me in tears talking about the new character on Sesame Street. Yeah, and I just foresee that happening. Um, <laughs> back to Tim Schafer for a second, who of course Double Fine is is the developer for the Sesame Street Once Upon a Monster game. Um, we reported last week that. Uh, Psychonauts uh, had finally been ported to the Mac, which isn't what I'm here to talk about. What I'm, what I do would like to talk about is the uh, the app that they also came out with uh, for the iPhone, which is the uh, uh, the Vault. The basically, you know, in in Psychonauts the game, there were all of these uh, mind vaults. Yep. That. Uh, that gave you uh you you had to go into uh the boss's mind and uh untangle their psyche yeah untangle their psyche and you you would get these you would open these vaults and it would tell you their story yeah the, and you had the luggage too right right and and so what they did was they made an app I'm that sorry, had that baggage ha- <laughs> <laughs> yes um they had an app. They made an app that had all of those vault entries in it, and, and whether you got through them in the game or not, you could look at them all. But not only could you look at them, uh, Tim Schafer and one of the other creators of the game uh, recorded a commentary, audio commentary for each one. And I've been listening to that all week, and it is just as funny and awesome as you would expect it to be. Oh, that's cool. Um, I wonder so, if that's uh, I wonder if that's on the Android platform as well. I'm not sure. Let's check I, it out. I, I don't think it is. Curse you, Apple. <laughs> um, and then uh, on the downloadable content side of things, uh, as we mentioned before, Dragon Age Two: Mark of the Assassin is coming out this week. Um, which we, uh, as we mentioned before, we just gave away a couple of uh, download codes for that in a contest. Uh, we'll try to get some more contests up as as they're presented to us, but uh, um, keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, also, uh, Insanely Twisted Shadow Planet, Shadow Hunters, which is an add-on to uh, the really quirky, just beautiful design designed game uh insanely twisted shadow planet which i've been playing off and on for the last several weeks nice it's it's also really hard (laughs) (laughs) um i know that uh red dead redemption game of the year edition is also coming out for the ps3 oh that's right so that'll give you all of the uh the dlc packs uh and all and of course the original game so uh, that'll be pretty cool. If, you, if you've missed out on Red Dead Redemption, and I can't imagine why you have, you need to just stop it right now and go pick up this title. It's a great title. <laughs> awesome. And all, the whole zombie tie-in just makes it that much more awesome. 
Excellent. With us tonight, we have Benjamin Walton, a young man who has grown up with the Zelda series. Uh, in fact, he was born into a world where Zelda had always existed. Uh, he's taken a very artistic interest in the series and has done a considerable amount of uh, paintings and uh, fan work that uh, is pretty pretty darn good. Benjamin, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine. How are you doing, Mike? Great. So uh, I thought it would be a great idea for Benjamin to share his perspective uh, and for Ron to share his perspective as a longtime gamer uh, and he's played pretty much – you have actually played every game. Every was, single one, even yeah. the absolutely awful 3DO ones. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, so I, I guess let me, let me just uh, let you guys compare your Master Swords. Excuse me while I whip this out. <laughs> Let's start with you, Ron. So as I said, I've I've played every single Zelda. Um starting from The Legend of Zelda uh, all the way through, you know, Link to the Past, Link's Awakening, uh the aforementioned 3DO titles, uh, Faces of Evil, Wand of Gamelon, Zelda's Adventure, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask. Four Swords, Minish Cap, Wind Waker, uh, Phantom Hourglass, and uh, Twilight Princess. And then I got my hands on with the uh, the upcoming titles. So I've played everything that there is to play. And Spirit Tracks? Spirit Tracks, yes. Uh, was that the one from Capcom? Nope. No, no. no that was uh, Oracle no, that of was, Ages, that was Oracle and of Minish Seasons, Cap. and Minish Cap. They did three. Yep. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've played them all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. How about you, Benjamin? Uh, and I have not. Uh, I've I've touched all the official ones. I've not beaten them all. Um, yeah, big big Zelda fan here. Uh, I started with Ocarina of Time. I'm a bit younger, but it it captured me like no other. And then Majora's Mask frustrated me like no other. And so I was kind of split. Then Capcom came along with the, uh, the Game Boy Color games, and yep. right right after playing Link's Awakening, which is fantastic masterpiece. Even uh, I uh, further experienced what it was like to play that kind of a Zelda on Game Boy with Capcom's games. That led into Link's Awakening led, was black and white, right? Yeah, it was black and white. And then Capcom, then they well they recolored it for the Game Boy Color in '98. Um, two years later. Uh, Capcom comes out with their two games simultaneously, and uh, I thought they were fantastic. Could we take a moment to just talk about Capcom's involvement with the with the Zelda series? Yeah, we'll, sure. we'll get to, we'll get to that. We'll get okay. To that. We we can get to that. Yeah. Okay, um, but uh, yeah, from there went on to Wind Waker, and I've played every title since. Uh, Minish Cap was a personal favorite. It was fantastic. What whimsical world with much delight, kind of referencing a link to the past, and in many ways, graphically, experientially, I thought it was a, I thought it was a great way to outsource the series one last time to Capcom. But uh, enough, enough focus on there. Uh, I think Twilight Princess was a, I don't know. I think it was kind of a, it was, 
a downside for the series, honestly, in terms of gameplay. But conceptually, it it drove it in in vast portions. And as an as an artist, as a fan artist who's done countless con- conceptual pieces and blah 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 over the past four or five years, uh, Twilight Princess has been heavily inspirational, despite not being one of my favorite games. So there's this certain uh, there's a certain uh, oh what do I want to say? <laughs> Got, got you all excited about Zelda and Lost. You got me all excited. Yeah, yeah, you, that's that's exactly what's happened because I can't stop thinking about Skyward Sword, and that's all I want to talk about right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, so my affair with Zelda actually started on the day it was released, uh, August twenty second, nineteen eighty seven. Uh, after watching those asinine commercials of Nintendo's, uh, watching the guy damn near you know piss himself, uh, getting all excited and freaking out about the game, I, I kind of looked into it, picked up a uh, Nintendo Power and kind of never looked back. I've actually played every title in in sequence, so I played them as they came out. Wow. I, um, I remember going over to my buddy's house and seeing Zelda for the first time and playing it for hours just swapping off the controller. Uh, but I, I never got to... I, I never got into it as, as deeply as he did uh, because I, I believe he like missed a day of school from lack of sleep. Uh <laughs> but uh but no it 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 it's definitely uh it definitely piqued my interest. I also didn't have a Nintendo entertainment system at the time, so I was extremely jealous. Ah. Yeah, see, you mentioned uh some of your favorites. My my favorite is actually the Dark Sheep of the series, Zelda 2: The Adventure of Link. Oh, no, it's actually one of my favorite titles of all time. Well, it included so many RPG elements, which are now coming back in Skyward Sword, uh, yep. in new in new forms, of course. But it it seems as if with Skyward Sword, they're returning to roots that have not been touched on in years, like since yep. 1989. And uh, Adventure Link is a it's a golden that's a golden game. Yep, came in a golden cartridge too. <laughs> But uh, yeah, Zelda 2, uh, that was also my first brush with uh, alpha-level bugs, where I could find ways to break the game and make it completely impossible to complete it. Um, for instance, the very first boss, taking him out and then not collecting the uh, the gem at the end and just exiting, causes the entire game to become unbeatable. <laughs> so yeah, I discovered that after many, many hours of getting to the end and going, why can't I... Get this damn shield down. And yeah, then, you know, a few phone calls to Nintendo Power later. Uh, back when, you know, you actually had to call places to get help <laughs> long before the internet. Um, yeah, found out that that's an alpha level bug. It can actually break the game. Yeah, you almost questioned whether I am error was intentional or not. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, there's some there's some great sage advice though in Zelda 2 and I think kill it with fire is probably one of my favorite phrases uh, both personally and professionally I use it often <laughs> nice I, I do have to admit though uh, some of my engineers that work for me uh, are quite a bit younger than I am and I have say I've said you saved Hyrule and you are a real hero and they look at me like I'm completely retarded <laughs> Yeah, I'd probably be one of those guys anyway. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> um, for me, though, uh, while, while Zelda 2 does hold a, a, 
a great place in my heart. I think A Link to the Past is really when the Zelda franchise really took off uh, for the larger market. See, I think from that first sequence where it opens up and, you know, you got the dream sequence, you step outside, and the first time you see rain. I mean, we take environmental effects for granted so much nowadays, but at the time, that was unheard of. So I think that was really when, when people really latched onto the, the Zelda series and, and it kind of took off. Well, well uh, go ahead, Mike. Well, I mean, it, it really feels like no one else was doing anything like that at the time, you know? It, a lot of the the combination of things in those early Zelda games, especially, uh, that was pretty groundbreaking stuff. Yep, absolutely. Well, and just the the inventory system and the whole hey, look, I just beat the game. Wait, nope, I'm halfway through. You know that whole light world, dark world thing really started in Link to the Past. Uh, I think that a lot of the the staples of the Zelda series really kicked off in Link to the Past. Yeah, the uh, I think yeah, the key elements being the duality in worlds and Ocarina of Time. You have young Link's Hyrule and then adult Link's Hyrule. Um, the just the sheer atmosphere of a link to the past, like you said, with the rain at the very beginning, the moody music that continues all the way till you reach Hyrule Castle. Um, yep. That's prevalent strongly throughout the whole series, and I think that's what continues to capture people. It's that perfection of atmosphere. And Majora's Mask, I think, is the quintessential title in the series so far in terms of atmosphere, in terms of of the weight that such design can have on the player, not just in, not gameplay, just the experience of being in the world and understanding it elementally. One of the things that I really liked about Majora's Mask is at any point you could look up and see uh, the moon, you know, and it, it looked menacing. And as it moves closer and closer and you're, what, I think it was three days that you had to solve the game. Um, it really, it kind of gave a, a bit of pressure to a game that otherwise is pretty relaxed. I mean, Zelda, you can kind of jump in and play for a while, and there's never any pressure to solve anything. And But Majora's Mask, you always had that omnipresent moon getting closer and closer, threatening to to destroy things. Yeah. And it was, I think it was kind of a, a departure from their usual franchise pattern. Well, being based on uh, Ocarina of Time's engine and coming out, you know, within two years after its release, we all expected something like Ocarina of Time. And while it played like it, everything else was completely different. They decided to go down as many different paths as possible so that they could deliver an experience that was perhaps an antithesis to Ocarina of Time. Sure. Yeah. And I think I think when you look at uh, Ocarina of Time on the 3DS, and you mentioned it, they're run on the same engine... It only makes sense that they jump straight to Majora's Mask and release that on the 3DS so I can hurry up and buy it. <laughs> with, <laughs> Shut up, Nintendo. Take my money. With that purple 3DS that they unveiled, too. Oh, I'll stick with the black one. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are talking about the world of Hyrule. Uh, let, let's talk about the, the story and, and the timeline oh, of the Zelda games. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's hard to do on a podcast. I think I need like a, a drawing table and perhaps maybe some charts and graphs. <laughs> give me, uh, give me, the, give me a year or two. I'll come back. <laughs> the, all right, I well, think uh, the angry video game nerd eventually did a. You know, here's how it all fits together, and even having it visually represented was kind of confusing. So, 
<laughs> I can certainly talk about the the storyline, but man, trying to figure out the order, good luck. Well, there are some basics we can at least establish that pretty much everyone agrees on. We know sure. Ocarina, we know Ocarina of Time splits it, splits it in two. There's there are two parallel timelines branching from when Zelda sends back, sends Link back to his own childhood, um, thus splitting the timeline in two. Uh, from the from uh, from that point on, in adult Link's timeline. 200 so years later, it leads into Wind Waker. And at the same time, in Young Link's timeline, we have Twilight Princess. Twilight Princess and Wind Waker were designed to kind of, they, they were, they concur. They happen at the same time. Ganondorf is killed in both of them, presumably. I mean, of course, he keeps coming back, but it, it is implied that that is his ultimate death. Well, and I, I think I read somewhere that pretty much in every game, uh, Link and Zelda and all of the other characters are are different. Um, there may be a couple of games that that follow the same timeline, like uh, Wind Waker and uh, uh, Spirit Tracks and uh, Phantom Hourglass. I mean, those are all obviously dealing with the young Link uh, introduced in Wind Waker. Not Spirit Tracks. That that Link is based a hundred years after Phantom Hourglass, but <laughs> okay. Phantom. Phantom okay. Hourglass is a direct sequel. Right. School. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, well, but but again, this is going by what I read. Um however Ganon or Ganondorf uh is the same character in every game. Uh kinda. I mean, you you have the introduction of Ganon um in the first title and then he's kind of a pig character in the second char- in the second game. But you know, you look at uh Twilight Princess, and you look at uh, Phantom Hourglass, and you look at um, the Wind Waker, and it's more of a human type character. So, um, you know, the, he comes from the Gerudo Desert, so he's part of the Gerudo people. But that that that's been kind of loosely reinterpreted with several of the games. Yeah, oh, I can if uh, you'd allow me for a moment. Go for I, it. I could give you a quick little history on Ganondorf, as much as I understand. Uh, so he was, uh, Ocarina of Time was essentially kind of, uh, wasn't an origin story for Ganondorf, but it was the, it's the first game, uh, chronologically in the timeline that takes place after his birth, as far as we know. Um, and, and the Gerudo people birth one male every hundred years, and that male is born for the specific purpose of leading his people, being the king and mating with all the women. So like the Smurfs, but in reverse. Yeah. <laughs> That's disturbing. <laughs> so just think of Ganondorf as a big, well, he's a big blue pig, so it's not that far off. Well, there you go. <laughs> so from Ocarina of Time, Ganondorf is, uh, in, hey. the adult, in the adult timeline, he's sealed in the sacred realm. Uh, he breaks out, as seen in the intro to Wind Waker, returns in Wind Waker, and then is killed or banished once again. And then in the child timeline, uh, after Link is sent back uh, by Zelda to be a kid, he travels off to Termina, experiences everything that happens in Majora's Mask, whether it's a dream or not. Maybe we can get to that later. Um, And then presumably returns to Hyrule. And after warning Zelda of the great tyranny that Ganondorf would bring upon her people, um... He is sentenced, imprisoned in the Arbiter's Grounds, which is uh, 
No, this is, is this is still Ganondorf you're talking about, right? This is still Ganondorf. Yeah, because okay. Ga- Ganondorf has he basically has two different uh, lives that happen in the two different in the in the parallel timelines, and um, and so as Twilight Princess uh, tells us in the backstory about midway through the game, uh, he was sentenced and then he was executed by the ancient sages at the Arbiter's Grounds, which we can kind of assume is the adapted form of the Spirit Temple from Ocarina of Time because geographically they're located in virtually the same place. A lot lot geographically was retconned in Twilight Princess, as happens with every Zelda game that's based in Hyrule because it's just all about adapting to the new uh, system that they're developing the game on, blah, 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 because, you know, you can get bigger with the engines and... I mean, A Link to the Past, Cyrule is a lot different than Ocarina of Times, yet they're the same. Right. So, uh, so Ganondorf is uh, banished to the Twilight Realm after a failed execution in which he revolts and kills the ancient Sage of Water. And uh, he resides in the Twilight Realm as some kind of demigod for however many centuries. And then when the events of Twilight Princess come around, which is, again, parallel to Wind Waker... He breaks out with the use of his minion Zant and uh, wrecks havoc on Hyrule once again. So, uh, the, you know, I, I don't understand how anyone couldn't follow that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's obviously all based on Shigeru Miyamoto's childhood, so he must have had a very complex life. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, thank God he made it interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I do want to – you keep mentioning the, the Wind Waker. Um, I think the Wind Waker really underscored my least favorite character in the games, and that's uh, Tingle. <laughs> I, I, I want to stab Mr. Mr. Tingle in the face until until rupees come out. Um, and that, that, that could conceivably happen, couldn't it? It could. It could. Uh, that guy's a bastard, and his job, his whole service in life, is to rob me of every rupee I find. Um, I think when I got to the map portion, where it's like, hey, let's go pour money into Mr. Tingle's pocket again um, to get the next map chunk, that portion where I'm hunting down all the fragments of the Triforce was by far the most frustrating part of any Zelda game I've played thus far. And just having to fork over all my hard-won cash to Tingle and watch him prance around like a ponce uh, j- that was just too much for me. Uh, <laughs> and the fact that they just keep bringing him back, he's like a bad penny. He just won't <laughs> well, go away. I, th- I think they're just trolling us, honestly. <laughs> because it, with and with Wind Waker, they allow you to collect, I think, a thousand rupees. That was the max you could get, which was, right. the, mo- which was the most we'd ever seen. Yep. And uh, so once you're able, it's like, wow, you can collect so many rupees. And then you think back to Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask and you realize... What do you really even use rupees for in the first place? And uh, <laughs> so Wind Waker comes around, you can get so many of them, and then it turns out you're just using all of them on Tingle for some map charts. So, so basically, <laughs> Tingle destabilized the economy of Hyrule. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Well, outside <laughs> island in that case, but yeah, <laughs> he's a bastard. He's a dino in some sort of shiny, weird, bizarro fire. <laughs> and then he used all the rupees to start his own sub-series. Right. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking of speaking of parts of Zelda that frustrate the hell out of you, uh, I remember playing Phantom Hourglass and having to go into that temple over and over again. 
Oh man. The the Temple of the Ocean King. Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. that was tedious. It, it was game breaking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would have to agree with that. Um people always bring up the uh the water level, uh the water temple in um oh, which Ocarina game was that? Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time, right. That was I actually one of my that was my favorite play, that was my favorite part of the whole game. I, I first played the game as an eight year old and I beat it on my first try. I don't know why people complain. Oh, youngin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I played it at a point where I, I knew enough swear words. So uh yeah. It had its moments, but uh it's definitely one of my favorite parts of uh of that game and probably of the series. Um another part of the the game series that really kind of took off for me that I, that I really enjoyed was when you first get uh, Epona. Uh, I think that really was, uh, it's just a vehicle, but you know, they, they did such a good job of, of setting you up when you're a kid. And then eventually as an adult, you get the horse and you get to run around and, you know, you, you kind of become attached to it, even though really there's no, there's no real story element that kind of connects you to the horse. But I don't know. I, it, for me, that was, that was a cool part of, of that game that that's thankfully been a, a part of the series at large since then well i mean well, essentially we... essentially he's like the first teammate that link ever had right other than the very annoying want to stapler the wall navi right but uh yeah other, other than navi yeah that's pretty much true well had we even ridden a horse in such a 3d environment before in gaming no not really i mean uh yeah I... 3d titles were, were pretty new at that point so that yeah. was a, a fairly new experience. Awesome. So, what? I mean, all of them have a lot of similarity in gameplay. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they pretty much have a, a, a base formula. Yeah. And they very rarely ever stray from it. Uh, Majora's Mask being the most noted example. Yep. Um, With all the different forms. I mean, you're you're basically, uh, you know, finding the master sword. You're finding the master shield uh, before you can finally go and save Zelda once and for all. Uh, after you, of course, gather the Triforce symbol. Um, <laughs> you need to get your terms right, Mike. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna get clubbed like a baby seal. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Let me just cut you guys loose on that. But yeah, it's it's boomerangs, it's the master sword, it's uh, you know magic your bow, balls, slingshot, yep. bombs. Yeah, though those are items found in virtually every Zelda game. Majora's Mask, though, like we said, breaking the formula. Rather than giving you all these items again that you acquired in Ocarina of Time, they consolidated the abilities into four different masks. Well, rather three: uh, the Deku mask. The Goron mask and the Zora mask. The the Deku mask acted more or less like the slingshot, uh, kind of with the bubble effect that you had. It gave you the ability to hop across water to spin. It you interacted with the with puzzles you were fairly familiar with um, in a in a very different and crude way. It was it was a bizarre experience, and they forced it on you from the get go when Skull Kid tricks you, steals Epona, the Ocarina, and everything, and Havoc basically just rips open from the beginning of the game. Uh, but then the Goron Mask gives you the ability to crush rocks like the Megaton Hammer from Ocarina of Time, but you can also roll into a ball. 
The Zora's Mask gives you the ability to launch your fins like the boomerang, which return to you. And it also gives you the ability to swim at high speeds through water and all kinds of turbulence. It's really innovative, I think. And I uh, just the whole idea of uh, of kind of traveling with these these three masks that were people at one point that died. It's kind of like Wizard of Oz or something to me. It's Dorothy falling into this bizarre world and finding these three odd companions that are kind of missing a part of themselves and having to resolve her issue with the uh with getting out of that world and that's what link was doing essentially he falls into termina and the moon is coming down and he has to figure out a way to get out of there yeah i did want to address something that you said earlier that kind of surprised me twilight princess you feel like that was a step backwards i'd like to hear why uh because there there were challenges i found in ocarina of time and majora's mask especially as 3d zelda games that I did not find whatsoever in Twilight Princess. Uh, I thought graphically it was it was fantastic. I loved the design of the world, but yet it was empty. They could have populated it so much more for the vast design that it that it had. I mean, you could. I I spent countless hours just running around in Hyrule on foot or on horse just for the sheer fun of it. But uh, there wasn't much to do. There weren't many enemies. Nothing large, nothing imposing like the P-Hats from uh, Ocarina of Time when you were young, Link, uh, which were, you know, four times your size flying around in the air. The P-Hats in Twilight Princess were, you know, maybe a foot long or something. And they were in the desert and they didn't even fight you. So there were a lot of obstacles that we'd gotten used to that they just either took out or or, uh, just sized down. And I felt... I felt it was it was kind of a, a backlash towards the fans in some ways because so because after Wind Waker, so many people demanded a realistic looking Zelda, so they gave us Twilight Princess, and yet it was just so much easier in terms of difficulty. So you yeah. you, you felt it it kind of reduced the scope that yeah. was set in in Ocarina of Time. Yeah, there was a precedent set uh, set there, and Twilight Princess. Oh, I don't know. It was just, it was disappointing for me. Hmm. See, I, le- I really like the way that they managed to pull the, uh, I mean, the, the motion controls are really s- pretty new at that point, and they still managed to approximate a lot of what we had come to know in Zelda and give it a, a new spin. I think probably that's what happened. They spent more time on getting those controls right and a little less time in populating the world. Um, but I really have to, to champion it for managing to get motion controls to matter. I, I kept looking at Zelda and I'm like, you know, I, I don't really see how this is going to work with motion controls. You know, I'm playing Wii Sports and I'm going, I just don't see how you can get an epic role-playing game out of this. The motions are, are really shallow and there's not a lot going on there. I don't see, there's no one-to-one sword movement, so it's not really going to give me that combat experience that I get, you know, locking onto an enemy and dancing around and that kind of thing that you get in a traditional Zelda title. So I really think that they took a step forward uh, with the way that controls were handled. Uh, and graphically, uh, of course, you know, moving onto the Wii, uh, was, I thought it was pretty impressive. Uh, the launch title for, you know, for the Wii that kind of had the, uh, you know, you had the Wind Waker that worked on the Wii as well as the GameCube and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, wait, wait, hold on. Am I right on that? 
Yes. Yeah, Wind Waker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's right. And yeah, so you had some motion controls uh, there. So I really think that they they had kind of embraced the the motion controls at that point, and, and really done something special with it. So it's interesting to hear uh, to hear your take on it. Wait, wait, well, wait. Hold on. Did wait, you yeah, say, well, wait a minute. Wind Waker had no motion controls. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it was but, Twilight no. Princess that came out on and GameCube and Wii. That's right. Yeah. yeah. See, Twi- Twilight Princess was developed for the GameCube and ported to the Wii with loose motion controls applied. I didn't honestly. A lot of people I've seen on the internet. A lot of people have complained about oh, Twilight Princess's motion controls. You know, well, they expected one to one motion controls when it came out. I didn't mind the waggle because otherwise it was just a traditional Zelda adventure. And in terms of the controls specifically. Pointing at the screen for the over-the-shoulder bow and arrow use was actually really cool, and uh, and it was obviously the direction they wanted to take. Um, as 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 far as populating the world, like the time constraints on that um, versus the motion control, no, I think because Twilight Princess was developed as a GameCube game, they could have done a better job designing it. They even like the in the lake bed temple, the boss there, Morfeel, was this fantastically huge kind of shadow of the colossus like boss in terms of how you fought it um because you cl- you would latch onto it using the claw shot uh and you would kind of ride around on it while you climbed up its back and then stabbed its eye uh because you know in Zelda games eyes are always the weak points but uh of course. <laughs> but uh uh I think yeah like Mike said it was they they had perhaps too wide a scope for Twilight Princess. I think they should have focused a little more on its stronger aspects, such as the storytelling, some of the characterization, and just the overall design. I think if they, yeah, well, I hear you. If, if memory serves me correctly, uh, I mean, like Benjamin said, it had been originally developed for GameCube, and I remember uh, one of the, the first years I went to E3, and they had a big... Uh, uh, Twilight Princess uh, unveiling uh, and you actually got to see some gameplay for the first time and this was I want to say it was a a good couple of years before the Wii uh, yeah it was 2004 2004 yeah and um, and I I don't I think what what happened was was they actually kind of held it back uh a little, a little for a few extra months just so they could get it on the Wii, and I think you know getting those Wii controls down was what helped delay it a bit. Yeah, that's probably that's probably the case. Um, I do have to say this though, I'd like to thank uh, Nintendo and Twilight Princess for making Midna because that's made for some awesome cosplay costumes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. I just sound like some sort of Zelda pervert now. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hence the silence. <laughs> yes, stun silence, uh, more accurately. Um, yeah, I really, I really did appreciate that the character design in uh, in Twilight Princess, though. I really think that they stepped off of their usual, um, you know, super deformed. You know, it, it's an Octorok, but it's bigger. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, and really kind of went a different direction. So, you know, all of the the creatures had more of a I don't know, almost a biomechanical or uh, you mentioned Shadow of the Colossus. You could see some some design influence there. And I really think that they, they did a great job making it a little bit more melancholy of a world 
Mm. And uh, I did appreciate that. It was it was kind of an interesting departure from the from the previous titles. Well, on that note, I do remember uh, I read an interview with EGI Onuma at some point, some years back, and he said uh, Twilight Princess would be the last of its kind in the series, and that they were kind of creating it. I'm paraphrasing him now. This was a while back, but they were they were creating it. Uh, not to be a swan song, but to be a departure from things that we had grown accustomed to. I, you sure. Know, I, take take us out of our comfort zone. I, yeah. I actually remember that now Now that he mentions it. Uh, I think that was at the uh, E3 press conference that year. Um, they were making a very large uh, large deal about it. Uh, and, and, I mean, it makes sense. You know, they, they need to, to kind of freshen up the franchise uh, as it goes forward. Um, you know, loosen themselves up uh, so that they can, uh, you know, remain excited about it, and 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 you know, hope that gamers remain excited about it too. And I mean, that's that's a great thing. Uh, and I feel this leads leads to you know what we're about to talk about, which is of course Skyward Sword, uh, because they're they're talking about how this game is very different from the other games in the franchise as well. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that really, I think that really kicks off um, right from the very beginning. I was talking with uh, some of the developers, and they were saying that uh, right from the from the get go, you know, Link is introduced as a citizen of, of Skyloft, and you know, you've got these giant floating islands. He's flying on a bird. It's it's very very different than any Zelda title we've seen previously. Um, I think we'll still see some of the same elements. I mean, I saw some of that when I played it at E three, slingshot, uh, the bombs bow and arrow. Um, but there was some new stuff too, like uh, controlling a, a, a beetle that you could fly using the mm-hmm. motion controls, um, which you know you can collect items that you'd normally have to fetch with the boomerang, that kind of thing. So I think there's going to be some very familiar elements, but it looks like they're taking a, a big step in another direction. Well, yeah, definitely. And you've, you've seen the, uh, the whole item upgrade system now, right? Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about it? Yeah, yeah, let's talk about it. Well, they are, like I said earlier, they are returning to some of their RPG roots that were established in Adventure of Link. Uh, One of them being a fairly robust item customization mode where using uh, this kind of blacksmith character in uh, this area of Skyloft called the Bazaar, uh, you can bring uh, items collected from your foes. So, So all the spoils that you collect throughout your travels around Hyrule, you bring him back to this guy and he will upgrade your items uh, or he can repair them, like your shield, for instance, because now it has uh, a durability meter, uh, which is something totally new to the franchise. And so what I've seen so far from videos, screenshots, I think I've counted maybe five or six different shield designs. So that's extreme. That's that's very exciting. I don't think we've ever seen that many shields in just one Zelda game. And... Yeah. Wood and, and the- steel. That's it. <laughs> uh, I I'm really I'm really, really excited to see like what what else we can customize because you know they're holding so much back from us. We've seen I I, f- I feel like I've seen so much now that I'm avoiding as much as possible now because I don't <laughs> want I, I want to be spoiler free. I want to experience the game for as much as it's worth without the <laughs> the fucking internet, um, but uh, 
But I think, you know, despite seeing the Farron Woods region, which is awesome, that's a throwback to Twilight Princess, uh, and then the Elden Volcano region, which is assumably going to become Death Mountain at some point, as after the Hylians descend from Skylop, however this happens, and start renaming and colonizing their world. Uh, oh, man, this is bringing up so many plotline elements in my mind. I don't even... I don't know where to go with this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the uh, I think the whole point with the the item upgrade system, it addresses something that I think has kind of been a an affliction of Zelda for a long time. So you you get those early weapons, and then other than for some puzzle elements, after a while you just stop using them. Yeah, uh, they cease being useful. So and you kind of touched a little bit on earlier. What what's the point of collecting rupees other than buying the next shiny item? So I think that. Uh, making the economy useful and then also giving players a chance to reuse some of those items that had they'd use earlier on in the game. And then later on they'll upgrade them and use them again. Uh, I think it gives players a chance to kind of revisit some of those weapons that had, had kind of passed their prime and, and find them find new and interesting ways to use them. Well, yeah. In addition to that, I just remembered something I read a few days back. Um, there are now, a whole new set of items in the game called medallions. I believe that's what they're called. Um, and when you equip a medallion, I don't know if you you can equip more than one at a time, but it gives you certain effects, certain bonuses. So if you equip the potion medallion, uh, it will enhance the effects of the potions you consume while it's equipped. So that's going to add a whole lot more depth to how we experience the game. I, I just want to interject real quick and say that, uh, Benjamin, I, I think the words spoiler free and skyward sword just aren't happening together in, in your instance. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're probably right. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I, <laughs> the thing it's, is that the, the spoilers that you're talking about, the spoilers you're talking about are all pretty freely available. So I know. Honestly, I, I, and I'm such a. Thing. I'm such a Zelda purist. I don't want to hear any of it, but I do anyway because I'm addicted. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Skyward Sword, essentially Nintendo is bookending the life of the Nintendo Wii with Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword. They've, they've as much said that this is the swan song for them uh, on the Wii and pretty much everything that they're focusing on going forward is going to be with the new platform, the Wii U. Uh, I, I mean, it just from what I have seen, uh, it, it looks like they've taken a lot of lessons that they've learned uh, over the lifetime of the console to heart. Uh, and the, the the fact that it uses Wii Motion Plus, I think, is a very good thing. I uh, completely agree. Getting closer to, to, to that one-to-one motion that we mentioned is a huge step. Uh, towards what we've all been hoping for since motion control started. Right. I mean, I looked at some of the sword fighting fighting titles like Bushido Blade on the PlayStation 2, and being a sword fighter myself, I've just longed for a good sword fighting title. There's some close approximations on the uh, the PlayStation Move, but it, we've not gotten a true sword fighting title. It'll be nice to have something that's closer and yet still a little whimsical. And I think that's kind of the, the space that, that Zelda is going to fit. I did I do have to say that uh, last year at E3, 
watching uh, Shigeru Miyamoto fight with the motion controls on uh, on this title, I, we were all kind of disappointed. Getting my hands on it at E3, I'll never doubt the man again. That would, <laughs> it, it, it's perfect. It works exactly as he said it would. Excellent. Excellent. And, and I think visually, uh, it, it looks to be one of the most stunning titles on the Wii. Oh, I love the art style. I'm completely in love with it. I remember posting on uh, some forums, uh, I think two years ago, it, just talking about the future of Zelda. When we were referring to Skyward Sword as Zelda Wii, right. uh, we, you know, I, I wanted, a discussion came up. Hey, what kind of art style do you think it'll use? Most people thought, you know, it's going to follow in Twilight Princess's footsteps and go for that quasi-realism. Uh, a couple people thought they might re- it, they might return to the tune roots of Wind Waker, Spirit Tracks, Phantom Hourglass, and then. I'm not trying to be a <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm no Nostradamus but I did say at one point I think they're going to go for a painterly style. I just knew it. And lo and behold they come out with what initially surprised and disappointed me at E3 uh 2010 uh only because I was ex- I was uh at that point expecting a darker Zelda, darker more super realistic Zelda. Uh but I I quickly fell in love with the the impressionistic art style. It, it's very amazing to Paul Sisson's work. Uh, like if you look at the backgrounds, the they've created some kind of a filter that renders the textures into this flowing watercolor mosaic that just that moves and dissipates and becomes more realistic as you as you travel through this, the three dimensional space. And so I'm super as someone who hasn't had. A, a second with the game. I'm super excited to see how this how this unfurls. I think I'm going to end up spending just ca- countless hours wandering around Hyrule, doing absolutely nothing but observing the sheer artistic quality of the world. The previous title was 40 hours, so I imagine they'll probably set that bar about the same length, and nope. I'm, I'm happy for that. Um, I I think it was Miyamoto recently actually said it's 50 to 100 hours. Nice. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I like getting my money's worth. Yeah, it, no, yeah no. It, it was Miyamoto. He confirmed that. Actually, he confirmed it many times. He wants people to know that for a fact. <laughs> nice. Yeah. What about uh, what about this new guy, Demon Lord Girahim? Yeah, so it's kind of an odd-looking uh, final boss character. He kind of looks. Uh, I think somebody. No, it was Mike. David uh, Bowie. Com- David him Bowie. To David Bowie. <laughs> And I'm, so, I'm cool with that. Yeah, I'll, I'll smash Ziggy Star, Stardust in the face. I'm cool with that. But uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, this is a, a departure from the usual uh, boomerangs, bombs, and Ganondorf. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with that, or if you know they they pull the uh, ooh, what a twist, and uh, here comes Ganondorf in some way. Anyway, even though they've already confirmed he's not in the game, you think they'll still do that? Uh, you know, it's Nintendo. Anything's yeah. possible. <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine we'll at least get some kind of reference. Oh, you know? I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind a reference so long as we don't have to fight him again and again. <laughs> I think. I think I'm done uh, slinging uh, energy orbs at him using my net. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Skyward Sword comes out the third weekend of November. Uh, the 18th overseas and the 20th here in the U.S. I feel an illness coming on around that time. 
Isn't that like Thanksgiving weekend or something? Uh, actually, I feel uh, a beating coming on at that time. I'm actually testing for my fourth degree black belt that weekend, so uh, I'll I'll be in recovery and trying to probably move as little as possible while still playing this game. Yep. And uh, and we may we're gonna try to get the title early to uh, to get a review out as soon as possible. Um, uh, we're crossing our fingers for that. Um, but uh, but yeah. Uh, on behalf of the Gaming Trend Podcast, uh, th- thanks for joining us today, Benjamin. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> Much appreciated. And uh, your your knowledge of Zelda is definitely up there. Well done, sir. <laughs> My Master Sword may not be as long, but... <laughs> <laughs> but it'll still cut a watermelon into you. <laughs> Thanks. Now I have that image in my head. <laughs> this podcast is rated M for mature. Yeah. Or well, I did I label it. Sure. <laughs> All right. Well, on, on that note, on that note, I'm going to close it out for the week of October 10th. Um, this is the Gaming Turd Podcast, and uh, I look forward to hearing from you at podcast at gamingtrend.com. And we'll talk to you next week. See ya.